0: So, we're so glad you guys are here today. Let's turn our Bibles to Ecclesiastes. It's one I don't preach out of a lot. Um, Ecclesiastes is an interesting book. Of course, Solomon wrote it. And I want to I brag on somebody real quick. I went to see um, um, Braden play football yesterday. He plays right over here. But then afterwards, him, him and his mom came over and were um, doing some stuff in the gym, ready, getting ready for tonight. And she asked him to set up the tables. He set up all the tables and all the chairs in that room. And so when you go in there, how many tables are there, ma'am? Twelve tables. He set them up, put the chairs around him. That's a job for one person, let alone Braden going over and do that. So when you see him today, thank him for what he did, all right? It's always good to thank people for what they've done. So let's go ahead and stand, and we're going to go to Ecclesiastes chapter 1. And we're going to read the first four verses. Ecclesiastes chapter 1. Verses 1 through 4. Um, Ecclesiastes 1, 1 says this: The words of the preacher, the son of David, king of Jerusalem, vanity of vanities, saith the preacher, vanity of vanities. All is vanity. What profiteth hath a man of all his labor which he taketh under the sun? One generation passeth away, and another generation cometh, but the earth abideth forever. Isn't it amazing how fast your generation grows? You may be seated. To understand this book, you've got to understand the man who wrote it, Solomon. He was a man of wisdom. Everybody knows that. He was the son of David. He was a king. He was a man of wealth. I was looking him up what his wealth would be if he had the money that he had back then. And you've got to understand it'd be worth a lot more right now. They estimate Solomon's wealth. You've got to listen to this number. Two Point two trillion dollars. I mean, this man had money like nobody else has. In fact, in the history of the world, he is the only one in the top 20 that is found in the Bible. And he's number five. And so when I was looking at that, I was trying to figure out, Put this, you got to understand that's 11 zeros. To put it in millions, it's Two million, two hundred all right, I did something else so you'd understand how much money it was. If you counted one number every second of every day, it would take you 25,462,963 years to reach 2.2 trillion dollars. You're going to see why that's important when we look through the book of Ecclesiastes. This week in the news has been a crazy week. Bombs that were sent, um, the shootings at the the church, the politicians on every commercial. Praise God, in two weeks, those will all be over, hopefully. Um, But as you look at it, you'll, you'll see we live in a crazy world. We're coming to the end of our campaign with a revival next week. And I want to encourage you. You say, well, I come Sunday morning only. Come, we have church Sunday night, too. We'd love to have you on Sunday night. Cody Sturgill and his wife will come, and he has two boys that will come with him. Him and his wife will sing. You'll really enjoy them singing. I know Bernard and Kathy has heard them sing. Ray and Priscilla have heard them sing. They sang at, our, at the couples retreat last year. And so you'll really want to come to that. But we have this fall campaign. We've had visitors, and we've started out, and we've finished it, and it goes by fast. Amen? It's hard to believe I was writing my check for my tithe of the day and I wrote 2018. I have to tell myself to write 2018 still and pretty soon it's going to be 2019. And as you look at it, time goes by so fast. But when you study the book of Ecclesiastes, you'll find something. Vanity of vanities. And here this man, when he looked at what, what he wrote, it was interesting what he said. And, and, and I go back to this money issue. You say, why is the $2.2 trillion important? Because sometimes people think if they had money, everything would be okay. But Solomon, when you read this, we're going to look at some of the things that he tried out, and he found out that they didn't help him. It did not help him at all. Let's look at some of these things. We're going to go really quick through the 11 chapters, and then we're going to end up on the 12th chapter, and I want you to see how it ends. It says in chapter 1, it says, generations come and go. They do. How many of you, when when someone asks you when you graduated from high school, you have to go? And and if they said, how many years ago was it? You'd have to really figure it out. I graduated in 1984. It's hard to believe 34 years ago. It goes by fast. The Bible also says your life is but a vapor. And you sit there and go, okay, what are you going to do for the Lord? Sometimes we wake up and it's too late for us to do anything for the Lord. But God has a job for you. Uh, It says people are never satisfied. Go to verse number eight. All things are full of labor, man cannot cannot utter it. Thy eye is not satisfied with seeing. We always want more. Have you ever bought something and said, okay, I want to buy something bigger? Or uh, you build a house, you want to, oh, if I'd have done it this way, I'd have probably added this room to it or done this or done that. You know, my wife and I—I I hate to say it—but I'm in—I'm in my 50s, and when I when we're looking for houses, I'm looking for a single level if I can get one. Amen. Those steps can be very dangerous. Amen. And so I don't—I want them. And 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 sometimes when you walk up steps, you have—it's called exercise, and I don't want to do that either. Praise God. So, you know, you you look at this and things change. Solomon had done everything. If you go verses 11 through 17, he talks about everything he's seen. In verse number 14, he says, I have seen all the works that are done under the sun, and behold, all is vanity and vexation of spirit. He says, listen, it's not worth it. It's not worth what we're doing here. Sometimes we think we're doing something, and I'm not talking about spiritual things, but I'm just talking about things that we go for our own pleasure. In verse number two, he has an I problem. I'm not talking about E Y E. I'm talking about I. Look what he says in, in, in chapter two. I said verse verse one. Verse two. I said verse three. I saw it. Verse number four. I made five. I made six. I made seven. I got eight. I gathered nine. I was great i um, 10, I kept not. 11, then I. And he goes all the way through it, and you see the word I all the way through it. He's telling you all the things that he, he, he had sought. He had sought everything. In fact, he uses the word pleasure that pleasure could get. And you got to understand, going back to this money, he could buy anything that he want. This pleasure eventually would get the best of him at this very end of his life. He started out good, but he ended up bad with some of the things that he did. And yeah, he was known for wisdom, but he started building these temples for these wives that he had, and they were not what God wanted him to do. And so here he he talks about this. Now, in chapter 3, we all know chapter 3, to everything there is a season and and a time, to every purpose under the heaven. He talks about time. And can I tell you, in verse number 17, as you look at verse number 17, it tells me that God keeps an accurate record through this time. Says, says, I said in my heart, God shall judge the righteous and the wicked, for there is a time there for every purpose and for every work. So now you have, he had pleasure, he had vanity, he had time, but you know, he had the life just like us, because in the next chapter, he's going to talk about problems. In verse number four, he talks about oppressions. In chapter four, verse one, he says, so I returned and considered all the oppressions that are done under the sun. He's looking at all these things, and this wisdom that he has is helping him understand it a little bit more. He also talks not about only oppressions, but he talks of travail. Look at verse number 4. Again, I, I considered all travail and every right work, that, that for this is a man is envied to, of his neighbor. This is also vanity and vexation of spirit. So he's trying all these different things all the way through these chapters, and he's, he's leading this to you, and he's telling you, listen, hey, this is important for you to understand. Because go back to what, the cha- what this book was called. It was called what? Ecclesiastes. What's the other word for Ecclesiastes? If your Bible, if you go back to chapter 1, it says Ecclesiastes or what? The preacher. He's telling them, he's speaking to them, and he wants people to understand really what's going on. We can try everything. There's going to be problems with this. There's going to be travails. There's going to be oppression. We've got time. Um, we've, got, we've got pleasures that we can try, vanities we can try. But then in chapter 5, he gets into religion. He talks about the church. says, keep thy foot when thou goest to the house of God and be more ready to hear. And then it says, it, it keeps on reading, it talks about money and how money will affect you. You know, it's interesting, money. I don't know if you watch any news outlet, but you've been hearing about some money. Some money that people are trying to win. $1.6 billion, 700000 yesterday, $700 million. And as, as we look at it, it, I was reading a statistic on the lottery. In 1980, 70% of the people played the lottery. Now they say 50% of the, the people. And if you're, you're sitting by someone and you know you didn't play the lottery, the guy beside you did, amen? Because that's the statistics, all right? 50% of people played the lottery. And we think everything would be okay if we had money. Have you ever read the statistics about the people that win the lottery? What happens to them? A lot of them, their lives have changed. You better buy a good security program if you you won $1.7 billion because every cousin that wants something, they're going to be calling you, they're going to be coming at your house, and they're going to make false accusations towards you. We think everything will be okay. And some of you say, bring it on, at least I'll try. But if we're not happy now, we're not going to be happy then. Brother Spencer preached that message about Philippians, about being content, and he he, he kept drilling this into us that he wrote this while he was in prison. One of the things he didn't really tell you exactly was how bad the prison system was at that time. People would die in prison. If it wasn't for the church of Philippi, he wouldn't have been fed numerous times. I mean, these places were terrible. But yet, in the midst of all this, he can write, hey, I'm going to be content with where I am. See, he had everything he could do and still Solomon was seeking and he was trying to figure out what was the most important thing. And money will not buy you happiness. It might buy you some joy. It might buy you some some things in your life that you say, okay, but I'm going to tell you something. There's always something better. And so here we have, he talks about money in verse number, in chapter five. He also talks about money in verse, in chapter six. Look what he says about money in chapter six. It's interesting. You have to understand what, he, what he's meaning by this. It says in verse number 6, There is an evil which I have seen under the sun, and it is common among men. A man to whom God hath given riches wealth and honor, so that he wanteth nothing for his soul of all that he desireth. Yet God giveth him not power to eat thereof, but a stranger eateth it. That is vanity, and it is evil, and an evil disease." It says in verse, in verse number three, if a man begat a hundred children and lived many years so that the days of his years be many and his soul be not filled with good and also that he, ha- he hath no burial, I say that an untimely birth is better than he. For he cometh in with vanity and departeth in darkness. You know, when you're, when you're sharing the gospel with somebody, if they're wealthy people, it's harder to share it with. You know why? Because most wealthy people think, what do I need God for? I've got everything I could need. That's why he says, Jesus says what in the New Testament is easier for what? A camel to go through an eye of a needle than a rich man to get saved. See, we think money will bring us happiness, but can I tell you something? Money will just be gone. And as, the, as even in Ecclesiastes, he says, you'll come into the world with, some, with, with nothing and you'll leave with nothing. In chapter 7, he starts out and he starts talking, and everybody knows chapter 7. Go to the first verse. Everybody knows this verse. A good name is better than, is better than precious ointment, and the day of death than the day of one's birth. The first part, we know that. He talks about a good name, and, and he talks about um, wisdom in chapter 7. In chapter 8, he talks about wisdom and authority. In chapter 9, he deals with man's philosophy and God's judgment. In chapter 10, he deals with wisdom, circum, um, um, wisdom's characteristics. And in chapter 11, he talks about business. He talks about your age. So let me go over some of these listings that he's went through. And it, ca- it carries everything. Vanity of vanities, pleasures, time, oppressions, travail, church, religion, money, work, wisdom, man's philosophy, wisdom's characteristics, business. But then he does something very interesting at the very end of this chapter. He writes all these things, and you're kind of like, man, he is very negative about everything. But then the last part, he does something that's very interesting. He writes these verses, and I want you to pick up as we read these, and we're going to see how how he ends this. After he studied all these things, money won't buy you happiness, pleasures won't buy you happiness, um, jobs won't buy you happiness, friends won't buy you happiness, and then he says this. Go to the very end of this chapter, in chapter 12, and we're going to read a few verses. We're going to start in verse number 8. And here he's wrapping it all up. He says, Vanity of vanity, saith the preacher, all is vanity. And moreover, because the preacher was wise, he still taught the people knowledge. Yea, he gave good heed and sought out and set in order many proverbs. The preacher sought to find out acceptable words, and that which was written was upright, even words of truth. Now you can see he's changing because he's talking about the Bible and what the, what the Bible had done, what the preacher had done. It says, The words of the wise are as goads and as nails fastened by the masters of assemblies, which are given from one shepherd. Let me explain what that is. The, the goads is a sharp long pole that is used to prod for animals. And then, of course, the nails is something that you can hold on to. It, it, it absorbs something that's around it. It says, and further, by these, my son, be admonished of making many books, there is no end, and much study is, an, is a wariness of the flesh. Now, I, I find it very interesting when I, when I read this, that he says the word, my son. Because you'll hear me talk about his son quite a bit because his son's name was Rehoboam. And Rehoboam was going to be king after Solomon. We all know what happened. Israel wanted a king, and so God didn't really want them to have a king, but they said all the other other countries have kings, so we need a king. So he picks King Saul to come in. King Saul starts out good, but then he ends up getting pride in his life because he's the king and everybody has to listen to him. He goes and he anoints David. Remember, they anointed David while Saul was still king. David has to flee Saul. And then all of a sudden, he gets in after David after Saul dies, and he is the king. He has anointed that king. He takes over. He does a great thing, and then he has one bad mistake. Bathsheba. He's in the wrong place at the wrong time. He gets, it, he gets it right. And then even in the, we were talking about this in Sunday school, even when they talk about what happened with him in King David's situation with Uriah, he says, your own children will go after you. And Absalom does that. But David was a man after God's own heart and he followed God. But then all of a sudden, this son, his son takes over Solomon and he starts, he starts out right. And he's the one that writes this. And at the very end of this, all this thing that he studied, he looks at it and he says, listen, my son, I want you to get this. And he gives him three things that he's got to do. And we're going to look at those three things, and we'll go through these pretty quick. The first thing he says in verse number 13, he says, let us hear the conclusion of the whole matter. He's he's saying, with that statement, he's saying, listen, I've looked at all this stuff that you could get. He said, and this is the conclusion of the whole thing. He says, the first two words is fear God. He said, son, listen to me, Rehoboam, you've got to fear God. Can I tell you something? Rehoboam did not fear God. When you study his life, he built up his armies and built up his armies, and when he thought he was powerful enough, he forsook God and did what he wanted to do. And it even says in the Bible that that Rehoboam prepared not his heart to seek the Lord. He could care less what the Lord wanted him to do. But here he he said, son, listen, you need to fear God, and the second thing you need to do is not only fear God, but you need to keep His commandments. And it says this, for this is the, what's the next word? whole. This is what God wants you to do. He wants me to do. And so let's look at these three things real quick. Fearing God. This is not spooky. This is not scary. This is not saying, oh, you've got to be scared to death of what God's going to do for you. You've got to understand the context of what this word means. If you break it down, it means to fear, to reverent, to honor, to respect, to stand in awe of and to be awed to be awe. So you look at God and you go, Oh, wow, I fear Him because I am in awe of what He can do. Not necessarily what He can do to me, but what He can do. I can't create something out of nothing. He can. Tonight we'll have desserts, right? And we'll bring those desserts there. And what, what people have done is they put ingredients together to make the great desserts that we're going to have tonight. Now, the hobo stew, I really don't know how that's going to turn out, but hopefully it'll be good. You just pour all these things in there, you put a little bit of spices and meat, and you have broth in there, and you eat it. I don't know how that's going to turn out, but if we were back there and Patsy said, listen, we're going to try this hobo stew the way God does it, has a pan, puts it on the heater, puts nothing in it, says, okay, it's just going to form into something. That's not going to happen. I stand in awe of what God's done creating everything. And then I stand in awe of how God has helped us realize how we can do things. Anybody in here like to work with wood? Raise your hand. It's amazing what you can do with wood. You're sitting in a pew made from wood. And God made a tree, made man understand how he could cut the tree, shape the tree, and make these pews for you to sit in. It is amazing to me how God works. I stand in awe of that. See, practically speaking, what does awe mean? being being fearing God. Let me tell you, I'll give you some Bible people that were before Solomon's time that he could look at and say, okay, this is what they did. This is how they feared God. Moses, it meant that Moses leading millions of people out of Egypt, that's what fearing God meant to him. It meant that Abraham was willing to sacrifice his son. It meant that Gideon was willing to fight for God. It meant that Noah was going to build an ark. It meant that David was going to stand up for God and slay Goliath. It meant Joseph was going to rise up at every opportunity, what we would call problems, and be better for it. That's what fearing God meant to those men. So you say, well, what does this mean? The second one, it says, keeping His commandments. What's interesting, keeping His commandments, do you know there's general commandments that everybody has? In this room, there are things in the Bible that you must follow. Right? And then there's specific commands. I have different commands than you do. I have different commands than my wife does. And there's, it's not to say that I'm better than her or she's better than me, but we all have different things. Right? God will ask you to do things that He probably won't ask other people to do. Right? And those are specific commands. What are some of those specific commands? As a pastor, I'm not to be a brawler. Okay, that means if I see Cecil out and about, and he's cut me off in the car, and I run him off the road, and then we get out of the car and we get in a fight. He can fight me, but I can't fight him. Because I'm not supposed to be that way. It's a specific command. There's always specific commands for what you are or where you're at in life. And God always did that. So the practicality of this is that God has these commands for us to follow. We, are either, we, we make these too difficult. We are either going to follow them or we're not. Do you remember when your child first started driving and you're sitting in a car? And there, you're sitting in a car and you're praying to God that you have that, that extra brake pedal on your side like the driver's edge instructor does. I mean, I don't know how many times when my, my oldest child started driving, I was putting my foot through the floor like the Flintstones trying to get the car to slow down. And I would be sitting there going, and, there's, there's, and then there's that time when you, you want to reach over. Russ, did you ever want to just reach over and grab the steering wheel? Like, don't go over that way. No. And I remember sitting there, and I wanted to, I wanted to be in control. I can't wait till till you guys go through it, this couple back here. I'm just waiting for Emily to get her her drivers. I'm just, I'm counting the days, amen. You're gonna see them coming into church like this. We we made it, praise God. I remember one time I went on an airplane and they took me on a a single engine plane. The guy said, I could tell you were nervous because you were asking questions like crazy. I said, yes, I was very nervous. When I got out of that airplane, I got out and kissed the ground. I literally got down and kissed the ground. I was like, thank God I'm out of that plane. I mean, he would do this thing where he'd dive it and do all this other stuff. I didn't want to die up there. And so I, I, got, we, sometimes we, we feel like we have to be in control. We're either going to listen to commandments or we're not going to listen to commandments. We're either going to steal or we're not going to steal. We're either going to covet or we're not going to covet. And sometimes we've tried to make this so easy and difficult. And, 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 I mean, we make it so difficult, but sometimes it's just so simple. Just follow the rules. If you don't follow the rules, it's called cheating and lying. And so when God gives you a commandment, it's not a suggestion, it is a commandment, we're supposed to follow it. When it says that we're not supposed to steal, that means anything. That means money, that means objects, that means hearts, that means anything, we're not supposed to steal those. We're supposed to go and we're supposed to do what God wants us to do. So when I I think of this... Keeping God's commandments means just fearing God. Go back to this list. Moses feared God, so he led the, the millions of people. It was a hard thing for him to do. Noah feared God, so he built an ark. And through that building of an ark, Bernard, he also followed the commandment that was given to him. See, if you fear God and you're in awe of Him, you'll see what His Word says, apply it in your heart, and then you'll act on it. That's what fearing God means, is following and keeping His commandments. And I I like this, Larry doesn't say it is a hard duty to do, it says it's the whole duty for us to do. It's the whole duty for us to do this. I think of Joseph, every situation he was in. And Solomon knew the story of Joseph. Joseph Joseph made the whole world saved by him bringing in the food for Pharaoh. So he knew the story of, of Joseph. And so he would look back and he would would eye him. And don't think people are eyeing you. They're watching how you respond to certain things. They're watching how, when you have a problem in your life, how you respond to it. They're watching if you follow those commandments. They're watching if you fear God, if you're in awe of what God's done. And so he looks back and he sees Joseph and he says, listen, he's been in a dire strait here, 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 and here. And every time he rose to the top. And then there's this guy by the name of Gideon that is actually found in Hebrews chapter 11 that most people don't know. We know him as a Gideon distribution of, of Bibles. Gideon did not have orange little Bibles he handed out to people. That was not who he was. When you study Gideon, you'll find out he was a man that was scared to death. When God starts talking to him, he's hiding from God, hiding from the enemies. And yet God would use him to fight those enemies and he would kill those enemies without a sword. I want to tell you something. You look at these people and you want to know what they talk about fearing God? That's what it meant. It meant following God's commandment and being in awe of who He is. And the last part is this. Look at the last verse. How many of you forget things? Some of you don't even know why you're here this morning. You ever, (laughs) about four weeks ago, I was sitting up here on the platform. I never told anybody because I'm, I'm very conscious of the colors of my clothes. Um, colorblind, if you walk up to me and say, that tie doesn't match, and don't do that. There'll be three or four people today who go, you know your tie doesn't match, and is my tie match. Okay, so I know it does because she wouldn't lie to me, I don't think, but um, i was sitting up here and my socks were different colors. And I thought, oh, surely someone's going to see me when I sit down. I had one brown one, one blue one. But can I tell you, in my room that I put them in, they were matched up and then I realized they were the ones that didn't match each other so I just put them together and I should have known it because I looked at it. One of them had lines and one of them didn't. See, I can, the color I understand, but when they had one had lines and one didn't, kind of threw me all off. But I was sitting over here and I was like, oh man, I hope no one notices it. I hope no one notices it because sometimes you forget what you've done, amen? How many of you have ever worn two different colored socks? How many of you have ever worn different colored shoes? All right, now see, I I don't think I'd do that. But anyway, um, as, as as I look at this, I think sometimes we forget things, don't we? So the first thing we must do in our life is we must fear God. We must be in awe of what He is. That's what Solomon did after he wrapped up everything that he looked at. He had all the money, he could buy anything, there's nothing that could be held back. And if you want to study Solomon, find out exactly the architectural structures that he built. Incredible, way beyond his years. And he built all these things. He had all the pleasures, everything that he could possibly have. And you know what he said? Everything's vanity of vanities. But at the very end, he says, listen, the, fe- the end of the conclusion is this. You need to fear God and keep his commandments. If he would only kept that his whole life, what a difference it would have made in his life. But then we've got to realize this. Not only do we need to fear God, keep his commandments, but we need to understand that he has accurate records. Look at verse number 14. For God, what's the next word? Shall. This is not he might, he could, he shall. For God shall bring every work into judgment. With every, what's the next thing? Secret thing. And I always relate this to teenagers because sometimes I think they're pulling the wool over their their parents' eyes. And sometimes we see right through it, amen? Sometimes we have a secret. How many of you like to keep secrets? If you walked up to somebody and said, I've got a secret that I can't tell anybody. How many of you could keep it? Wayne Cowden, you better raise your hand, brother. All right, here we go. All right, people in here, there are some people that can keep secrets for a long time. How many of you share your secrets? You want to tell somebody so bad, amen? I mean, you go, I've got a secret. Like I'll do something, I'll go, and we're gonna do something that's a secret. And she'll go, what is it? And I tell her. And I get so excited and then when it's all over, it's like, oh, I shouldn't have told her that. When we have secret. here. He's saying, Listen, he's going to bring to light everything that you've done and everything that you think is a secret. He's keeping an accurate record. God doesn't forget. Now, he forgets your sins when you, when you ask for forgiveness, but he knows what you've done. Look at this verse, and we'll end with this. We need to fear God, we need to keep his commandments. And we need to understand He keeps an accurate record. God is keeping an accurate record for good and evil. Look at this verse. For God shall bring every work into judgment with every every secret thing, whether it be good or whether it be evil. You know, sometimes you can do evil things and they look like they're good. You realize that? You can go up to somebody and do something really good, but your in motive is very evil. What do you mean by that? There's a friend that I had out in California that he made a lot of money. He sold his dot-com for $300 million when it was going out. He actually sold another one for $200 and something. And I remember when he came in, and, and he was my friend before he sold that, but I noticed more people were flocking to him when he had all that money. I know there were people that would go up to him and say, hey, you know, how you, um, just pray for us. Our washer just went out. You know what they were saying? Can you buy me a washer? And you know, I had to weigh it in my mind. Why is he my friend? Well, he was my friend way before this. And he should be my friend even after this. And when you, get it, when you come into that amount of money, you don't know who your friends are. And so often we can do things The right, it looks like the right way on the outside, but it's the wrong way on the inside. And God tells, and Solomon tells his son at this point, he says, listen, you need to fear God. You need to keep his commandments because he is keeping an accurate record and he can see right through all your demise. I can't pull the wool over over God's eyes. I can't over people, but I can't over God. And so in our lives, what do we need to do? We're ending up this campaign, but you know what our job is? It's to always invite people to church. It is. It's our job to invite people to church. It's our job to share our faith. It is our job to pray for each other. We need to pray for Priscilla tomorrow. We need to pray for Mrs. Cowden. In about two weeks, she has her surgery. We need to pray for these people. We need to pray for Ann Hilton. She needs to see a church up there talking to her, making sure she's okay, and praying for her. Dropping our car, dro- we needed, then, because God is keeping an accurate record of what we do. Life is too short to not do anything. This campaign was not about the sowers and reapers. It was about doing what we're supposed to do anyway. And so can I ask you, are we fearing God? Are we in awe of what God's done for us? Do you ever sit back and just thank God? Because in November, it's the, of, it's the month of Thanks. So you know what's going to be up there? Remember that last year? There's going to be a chess up here and you're going to have to put things in it, chess and you just have to keep putting things in it every week of what you're thankful for. I was reading some of them this last week that's in my office from last year and it doesn't have your name on it but I was reading some of the things you were thankful for. It's amazing what God's said and what has He done this next year? We need to be thankful for what He's done. If we're in awe of Him and we're keeping His commandments, we're going to be thankful for what He's done. And you know what I'm thankful for? that God keeps an accurate record. Why would the accurate record mean something to you? It means something for you to stay on check of what you're doing. For you to understand that you have something God wants you to do and you better do it. If God told you to do something, you better do it. If God told you to build an ark, it took you over 100 years, you better do it. If God told you to save a nation, you better do it. If God told you to get a nation out of another nation, you better do it. And do you realize all these people had issues? Joseph was very young when he was thrown in the the pit. Moses told God, I can't speak to people. He was the spokesman. Think about that. Noah, he had never built something like that before, and now God asked him to do it. You know the big thing about them all? They were all willing to do it. Despite what the problems would, would, would surmise, they still did it. Are we fearing God? Are we keeping His commandments? Do we understand if we fear God and keep His commandments, He's keeping an accurate record of what we do? Because that's what Solomon is trying to tell us now in his word.